This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Biff's Tree Removal Service. We'll remove any tree from any place, anytime. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. It's a birthday week on Pod Cemetery. So happy birthday to us. This is the episode that's coming out in between our two birthdays, which are a little less than a week apart. This week, we are watching 1983's Sweet 16 and 2019's Happy Death Day to You. (laughs) You couldn't see it, but I was making the two and the you with hand, like, too legit to quit. Anyway, before we get to our first movie, though, Kelsey, how do we start the show? Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Yes, but not for much longer. We've basically gone through all the good questions in Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Or ones of movies we've seen. Right. We try to stick to stuff that we have a chance of getting, right? So we've done that, and we did slash cards already. So we got to move on to something else. So we're going to order a new set of trivia cards for horror games. Uh, I also ordered a book called The Horror Film Quiz Book by Chris Cowlin and Mark Goddard. It's not exactly the easiest thing to look through because all the answers are in the back, you know, but I think I can manage it. So, Kelsey, why don't you give me what you got? To what Bill Murray film is the plot of 2017's Happy Death Day similar? Nice. It depends on which one you're talking about. If it's the first one, then it's Groundhog Day. Yes. All right, Kelsey. I'm going to modify this question a little bit because it's a little too easy on its own. What was the first Stephen King novel to be adapted into a movie? Carrie. That is correct. (laughs) Good job. All right. It was his first book and it got turned into a movie, so. (laughs) Yeah, there you go. It just kind of worked out that way. (laughs) All right, first up, our first movie on the docket is Sweet Sixteen. Written by Erwin Goldman, directed by Jim Sotos, and starring Bo Hopkins, Susan Strasberg, Peter McNee, Don Stroud, Dana Kimmel, and Steve Anton. What is Sweet Sixteen about? A girl is a is 15 years old. She's about to turn 16. Her mother is going to host a big, like, Sweet, Sweet 16. 16 party yeah. because they just moved back. So her mother came from this town, so they moved back. And the main character is blossoming sexually and wants a lot of men in this town. But unfortunately for her, these men keep getting killed off. Yep. Patrick McNee, we know as the doctor from The Howling. He's her dad. (laughs) Don Stroud, who's one of the hicks that lives there, like the head hick. Uh, We know him as the younger priest from Amityville Horror. You know, the (laughs) one who works with the older priest who goes uh, nuts? Tells him that he's crazy. Yeah. 
Uh, Dana Kimmel, who plays the role of Marcy, one of the townies there that becomes friends with our main character, who is just delightful, by the way. I fell in love with her in this movie. Uh, she was Chris in Friday the 13th Part 3, <laughs> which we haven't gotten to yet, but she's like the main girl in that one. That's the next one. Yep. Uh, also, Michael Pataki is in it, who I didn't mention earlier. He's like, they mention it the first scene he's in, and I didn't catch it. I didn't write it down. He, he's like somebody important in the town. I don't know if he's the mayor or what. He was in Halloween 4, but we haven't seen that on the show yet. We will be in a little over a year. <laughs> yeah. It's three this year. Yeah. but we Season of the Witch. But we know him. On the show as the principal from Graduation Day <laughs> with, with the tight pants who has <laughs> having the affair with his secretary. Yep. Uh, he's also the Russian promoter. Not Bridget Nielsen, but her boss or whatever from Rocky Four. So you recognize him, that's for sure. <laughs> and Steve Anton is Troy from The Goonies. Huh. That's the brother, uh, Marcy's brother in this. <laughs> the one who has the hots for the the supposedly main character. Supposedly. Yeah, because she's not really. I mean, the main <laughs> characters are kind of Marcy and her brother. Kind of. This movie's weird about that, especially with the first fucking scene. But we're not there yet. <laughs> the movie is $4 to rent and $20 to buy. On services like iTunes and Amazon, we rented it on YouTube. Should people watch this movie? Okay, it was way better than I thought it was going to be. It's super charming. Yeah. I don't know that you have to watch it. No. But it was a lot better than I thought. Yeah. It's not a good movie. No, but it's... I thought we were sitting down to watch an awful slasher. Yeah. About a girl who just has gone crazy and is killing boys. Uh-huh. That's not what we watched. No. So that was a good surprise. Yeah, it didn't really get kind of scary and slashery until, like, the very end. I mean, people die, but, like... Right. We don't see it, really. It's kind of, it kind of happens in a flash. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, I wouldn't say this one's necessarily vital. No. Especially since it's not streaming for free anywhere. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of a bummer. But I certainly it was, would not pay $20 to no, watch No, absolutely not. <laughs> but it was better than I thought it was going to be, and I'm not disappointed I spent $4 on it. So you can take of that what you will. <laughs> Either way, when we get back, we will talk about 1983's Sweet 16. <laughs> I'm not saying for sure, but it looked like the work of some kind of psychotic. That's Melissa. She was the last person to see Johnny alive. She might as well take her clothes off. I'm not swimming alone. You better call Billy and tell him about his brother. Listen, you know, Johnny was killed. Leave me alone, okay? What? What's the matter? Don't you want to hear the details about how that poor old man was twitching from his ceiling because you decided you wanted a little attention? (laughs) 
something evil is here. Sweet 16. Rated R, 17, not admitted without parent. All right, Kelsey, how does Sweet 16 begin? We open on a bizarre dream sequence. (laughs) My first note is, what is that snake woman painting? (laughs) There's a weird painting on the wall. So the implication is that our main character, whose name is... How could you forget her name, Kelsey? There's a whole song about her. Oh, God. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yes. There's an incredible song in this movie. I couldn't believe it. That I would imagine was written for this song. I don't know. You didn't look it up? There's like nothing written about this movie. (laughs) Anyway, her name is Melissa. Yeah. So we open on Melissa. No, we don't. That's my point. We open on Marcy. Because Marcy. It's not Melissa's dream? No, it's Marcy's dream. Oh. She's been reading her murder mysteries. And yeah. so she has a dream like That's it's a right. murder Marcy's mystery. That's right. Marcy's obsessed with murder mysteries. Yes. That's right. <laughs> her dad calls her Sherlock. And yes. It's so adorable. <laughs> I love Marcy. <laughs> Yes, so Marcy has fallen asleep reading her novel, and she has a dream (laughs) where she's basically in, like, a scary castle. Like, there's a stormy... Yeah. There's a storm going on. It's like a mansion or something. She's got, like, this enormous candelabra. Yes, I wrote that down. She has an actual (laughs) candelabra. But it's not just a candelabra. It's, like, bigger than her torso. Yes. Searching an opulent home in the dark in the middle of a storm. That's when I wrote, this has to be fake. (laughs) And it ended up being a dream. Do you remember what the name of the book she was reading is? No. Murder mystery. No. I wrote down. No. These people really couldn't be fucked, could they? <laughs> oh my god. Oh, that's oh really god. bad. The set people, the prop department, like they just <laughs> they just could not give a rat's ass. <laughs> it's just called murder mystery. And so I wrote down. Wait, she isn't our main character. Then why did we start the movie from her perspective? <laughs> Like, and that's intimate. We're seeing her dream. It's not even like she's the first one to die, like in a slasher film. And it makes sense that maybe necessarily the first person you connect with isn't the main character because, well, this person's going to die and it'll really show you what the stakes are. No, this person lives through the whole fucking thing and is just a side character. But really, she's the main character. It's not her birthday, though. No. Meanwhile, in a, in a bar, some drunks are getting into a fight. Yeah, with an elderly native. Native, yeah, a Native American. I, I assume it's like, oh, here's an old dude who is a race that is not white, and so we can be mean to him and racist because what the fuck is he going to do? Yeah. Well, too bad for them. Dude has a younger son who's Jason. there. To kick their asses. Jason Longshadow. It's not his son, though. I don't think they're related. It's never It's like his clear. grandfather or something. Anyway, he comes out and he's got a knife. And he's like, I will fuck you up. And they start to get into a fight, but then it gets broken up. And the grandfather just asks him to take him home. Right. I kind of liked how the bartender was like, fuck you. I'm not going to make this guy leave. Because yeah. they, they do tell him, get this guy out of here. And he's like, it's a free country. Yeah, but it's 
it's not like he was on this dude's side. It's no. more like he didn't want to fight in his bar. Exactly. So when the two dudes leave, we meet our main chick who approaches him as if she's a fucking hooker. Like when I yes. saw her enter the screen, I was like, oh, it's a hooker. And then you find out that it's not. She's it's- our main character and she's 15. <laughs> so she propositions him in a parking lot of a bar. Right. Why don't you uh, dump the old man and you and I can go to a party someplace? And he grabs her because she's like not leaving him alone. He grabs her and like doesn't throw her or anything like that. Just like turns her around and is like, get out of here. He says, little girl, go away. Yes. You know, this isn't the best part of town for a little girl. So why don't you just go home? Go on, go home. Get out of here. Go on, go home. Let me go. Just what go home. Get out of here. And there are these two young men who are the, the, there. The dudes who were trying to start the fight with them walk. It's not the it's same not. guys. No, see, this is my point. It's very confusing <laughs> the way they have it set up when you don't know who any of these characters are. No, this is Steve Anton and his buddy. Now, his buddy is the younger brother of the two hicks who were starting the fight. <laughs> That's why he goes back in and asks his older brother for the truck so he can take this girl home. And our guy that we like, Marcy's brother, is with him. Yes, Marcy's brother is like the goody two-shoes. Yeah, his name he, is he Hank. Who won't do anything. Right, but um, his buddy is like, oh, I think people would be happy to find out that you're feeling up little girls. Little white Girls. Yeah, uh, there's a lot of racism in this movie. Be prepared. Yes. There's a lot of it. I bet a lot of people around here like to know you're into little girls. Little white girls. And just like overt, pointless, like, what is even the reason you're angry? <laughs> yeah, so they, they say that to him, but then when they leave, these two, well, not two, but the one guy is like, hey, I'll fucking take you. Yeah, and so he leaves Hank behind and takes her. He and says, they go I'll and be make back out. in an hour. Yeah, he's not. No. Uh, so they go and make out, and she's like, where even are we? And they're in the bed of his truck. And he like, is she like pushes him off, but then we'll make out with him, but then pushes him well, off. Well, because she hears a noise and she's scared. And that's why she asks where they are. Do you remember where they are, Kelsey? No. <laughs> they're making out in an Indian burial ground. Oh, God. Where the hell are we anyway? What do you care? Want a beer? It's really weird out here. You like dead Indians? What are you talking about? This is the old Indian burial grounds. Oh, shit. Now, one little thing that's not exactly mentioned is that, okay, so the reason she's there is because her dad's an archaeologist and there's a dig in town. So they're going to be there for the next couple months. (laughs) They're digging up this Indian burial ground. Oh, that's right. I do remember this little subplot. And they talk about it like it's not a fucking, like, it's, I know it's 1983. Well, they get in trouble for it. The, the Native Americans are fighting back, and that's why they're having so much difficulty. Right, but, like, from the movie's perspective, they're not trying to shame this dude. He's just trying to do his job. Like, dog, that's their, they're still there. <laughs> it's not like some ancient fucking culture who's lost to time. <laughs> they are still there. In any case, weird that you would take this girl to an Indian burial ground to make out with her. I do love, though, when she pushes him away and she's like, where are we? He's like, you're a weird lady. (laughs) (laughs) So she makes him take her home. 
where her father is waiting. Yeah, and he gets pissed at this guy. He's not happy about it. No, he's like, <laughs> Do you, you know, she's 15. She's like, I'm almost 16. <laughs> 16 in a week or whatever it is. It's like in The says. Little Mermaid. I'm 16, daddy. I can do what I want. Yeah, and he ends up getting out of there ultimately. I remember being a kid and seeing that in Little Mermaid and thinking, okay, so when I'm 16, I'm an adult. Yeah. <laughs> God, think of 16-year-olds now. <laughs> they could be some cool folks, but absolutely not adults. No. In any case, he goes to drive off, but he runs out of gas. Because he was not supposed to be taking this for a drive. He was going to take Hank home and then come back to the bar. That's what he promised his older brothers. But he runs out of gas, and he's like, ah, oh, the least he could have done is filled it up. He didn't know you were going to be taking it. <laughs> Well, that guy ends up getting stabbed. Yeah, he stumbles into the bushes, and then he gets stabbed and dies. And right off the bat, I wrote it down, that looked like a female hand. You did. You mentioned that. Spoiler alert. I was it like, is. I was like, holy shit, like, they're making that real obvious. They didn't even put gloves on the person. Yeah. Because they really want you to think that it's the main chick. Yeah, Like, they, real bad. You think? Yes. Okay. I believe you. Then we see her take a shower. Okay. For no reason. Just Absolutely so that we can have a no naked reason. woman. It's not even that, like, centrally framed. Nothing even happens with this, like, in the context of the story. Right. <laughs> it's just, like, cut to her taking a shower. Okay, now she's done with the shower. Next scene. Yes. Like, that's it. It was just it was so gratuitous. a naked woman. And we've said it before, like, when we talked about the stepfather. I don't care that this actress is actually 20 in real life. <laughs> She's not even 16 yet in the context of this movie. You make a point of letting us know that. It's so fucking pervy. It is. And this was about as gratuitous as it could possibly be. Yes. It was pretty bad. So, cut to. Marcy. Yes. I oh. knew it. The gardener did it. But how do you kill someone with a rake? <laughs> I thought that was really cute. <laughs> it's really cute. I knew it. The gardener did it. With a rake? Could you put that book away? It's not supposed to be a rake. How do you kill somebody with a rake? So we have Marcy, and we have Hank, and we have Sheriff Dan. They're the Burks. He is a single father. We don't know, I don't think, if his wife died or left. Do we? Maybe she left. It's not important. The kids really want him to start dating again. Oh! Because there's this woman... We're not there yet. There's this woman. Oh, my God. Well, like, treat him as if they're in a relationship. And he totally uses her for information. I think she works at the police station or she something. She works at, like, the records office or a library somewhere. So or she like gives that. him all this free information so long as he will endure her talking to come him as if. Come-ons and stuff yes, like that. Yes, her come-ons and talking as if they're in a relationship. Yeah, and that they're going to get married and, you know. He is not interested at all. But he lets her talk about it. Right. Because that's the only way he's going to get his information. Right. Like, remove this little interaction of all of its context, and it's totally inappropriate. But it's kind of adorable. It is adorable. <laughs> She's awesome, too. Her name is Sharon Farrell, I think, is the actress's name. And, the and it helps the way that he plays it. Right. Because there's nothing in him that shows that he's irritated by this nope. or disgusted by it 
or offended by it. No. He's just like, oh, whatever. Yeah. Uh-huh. He totally doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> he's like, yeah, sure. Yeah, he really doesn't give a fuck. <laughs> later on in the movie, when they're going to go out on a date to dinner to pay her for all the work that she's doing, he's like, you might as well make some sandwiches. <laughs> We're going to be here all night. That's their dinner that they share. <laughs> but anyway, we find out that the other kid is Marcy's brother. Yeah. And he's, he's, he came home late the night before. And he, the dad's mad about that. And he explains, my friend fucking ditched me. Yep. We find out that, oh, now that, that kid died. He was stabbed. Well, yeah, because he, they find out he's missing. And so they go down and they, they find out where he was last seen. And they talk to the archaeologist. You know, it's like, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I was threatening to him, but I wasn't going to kill him. And then Marcy, who's with him, because the kids are with him, finds him. All slashed up in the bushes. And all she's concerned about is, like, who did it? Mm-hmm. She's going to figure it out. He's like, oh, this is some some young girl. Like, she finds a mutilated dead body, and that's all she's worried about. Or whatever it is. I fucking love Marcy. She's so great. A dead body probably falls on top of her. She says she's fine. <laughs> Cute. We also get a look into how very conservative Marcy is. I mean, you already know based on her clothing and her her hair. There is yeah. a, like a close up shot of her, and it's so like, was this set in the eighteen hundreds? Yeah, <laughs> based on the way she dresses. But anyway, at, at one point, somebody says, "Jesus Christ, yes," and she goes, "A simple yes would do." Uh-huh. <laughs> so they go to school. They come to talk to. Our main character, Melissa, Melissa because yeah. she was the last one that was known to be with him. Yeah. And she explains, I don't really know where we were. I got home around midnight. Yeah. And that's kind of all I know. She does yes. say that the Native American grabbed her. Yes. Outside the bar. Which is so fucking shitty. Yeah. They find out, you know, obviously that it's that it's Jason because... Hank was there. He saw it. He's like, yeah, that was Jason Longshadow. And he's like, but he didn't do anything. And Sheriff Dan, we find out later, somebody asked him, like, do you think Jason could have done this? Like his his partner or whatever asked him that. And he's like, no, I don't think he could have done this. Like everyone really gives Jason the benefit of the doubt. It's not like the movie is racist, but this is a very racist town. Yes. And even later in the film... Marcy will call her out for this and will say, you know, you're such a little fucking brat. You you lie and say that this guy who did nothing, uh-huh. like, grabbed you. For what? Attention? For attention. Yeah. Uh-huh. And it's a good moment for our, our main character, Melissa, because she does have this moment of, like. You're right. You're right. I was really uh-huh. fucking shit. And then Marcy apologizes. And I'm like, don't apologize. You were right. Yeah. But then they become friends at that point. But we're skipping ahead kind of far. Yeah. So they talk to Jason and he's like, no, nothing happened. I took the uh, older man, Greyfeather. That's it. Nothing happened. Interestingly, though, Jason Longshadow works at the dig site that the archaeologist is running, which is really weird. He's digging up his own culture stuff. Yeah. But I think it's for sabotage. And he does. We find out later he does actually steal stuff from the dig site. Yes, he does. Yeah. It's around this point that we meet Melissa's mother. Her name is Joni Platt. She says, call me Joanne. Yeah. Doesn't want to be known as Joni anymore. Right. And all the people she talks to don't seem to remember her. 
But they find out that she was married to John, the archaeologist who's in town. They try to remember her from junior high, and for some reason, all of them seem to think that something bad happened between Joanne and them. Yeah. And something about her father. Yeah. Now, you might think that I'm saying this to be confusing. I am. But also, the movie never really fucking explains any of it. You're sharing how confusing the movie makes it. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like... It doesn't give you anything. The information I just gave you is about all the information you get. Uh Uh-huh. Okay? There's a point where we are bereft of ideas as to who the killer could be. And I was just like, well, the only one with any weird sort of background is the mom because she was is from this town and now she's suddenly back and now these killings are happening. We will basically get like four scenes with the mother. Yeah. At uh-huh. most. Uh-huh. And each one has this weird thing about her past and you don't hear about it. But you forget about her because she's so She's just not little in the movie. In the yes. So you can probably already guess. I'll just tell you she is the killer. Yeah. So at school, Melissa is approached <laughs> by a like a football player. Well, well, first, 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 last thing I'm gonna say about Joni. Okay. She tells the town, "I'm gonna have a big to do for my daughter's 16th birthday, uh-huh. like we used to." Yeah. You might think that's important. It's fucking not, it's not. because you will never know what happened or why she doesn't like this town. Yes. Uh huh. You will never know. Yep. Unless maybe she said it and I missed it. But anyway. So she, Melissa, Melissa, (laughs) runs into this football player jock guy who's not a good actor and he's never (laughs) been in anything since or before. And he asks her out and she says yes. And he asks where and she's like, well, you know, the bar. We're at this bar again, Earl's Bar or whatever it's called. Meet me behind there at 8 o'clock or whatever, right? While she's walking around school, girls say, she might as well just not wear any clothes. Yeah. Because it's a very conservative town. Yep. She's not wearing anything that I would consider, like, nothing that I would even think about my daughter twice walking out the door in. Uh But back then, and it's a small town. But also, this is where we get the song. That's Melissa. She was the last person to see Johnny alive. She might as well take her clothes off. She's beautiful. Melissa, what are you thinking, sweet Melissa? write these lyrics down because it was so incredible did you look it up the song was written by frank sparks it has to have been for this movie because the only way you find it is on the soundtrack for the movie it's on spotify you can go look it up (laughs) melissa by frank sparks (laughs) so that night she goes to the bar before she gets there this kid is stabbed a bunch Behind the bar, and he falls behind some boxes. I would also like to say that before they, they're setting up their date, and he says, what do you do? And she says, I do a little bit of everything. And he says, I'm into a little bit of everything, too. And then he says, you want to score some herb, you know, smoke? 
and she laughs. Uh-huh, that he calls it herb. She says, you mean grass. <laughs> Might be able to score some herb. Herb? You know, smoke. You mean grass? Yeah. Herb, smoke, and grass. Yep. Oh, God. So anyway, it's he gets stabbed a bunch. It's amazing this wasn't made in the 70s. Right, yes, it is. You're absolutely right. So he gets stabbed a bunch and falls into some boxes behind the bar. And remember, Greyfeather is a patron of this bar. He's there again. <laughs> and he's behind the bar and he doesn't, he, he sees the dead body just as Melissa's approaching. And then she sees the body and she thinks that it's Greyfeather that killed him. Even though he's not carrying a knife, he's just fucking standing there. We don't know how long the body's been there for. She didn't hear any commotion. Like, she just assumes it's Greyfeather because she's racist. <laughs> That's what she tells the police, too. Now, the two Hicks, the older brothers of the kid that died at the beginning, overhear that it was Greyfeather or that she accuses Greyfeather. And they go and they kill Greyfeather. They hang him. We see this off screen. Dan, when looking for Greyfeather, ends up finding him hung. So it really fucking sucks. At the funeral of this kid, this is when Marcy confronts Melissa and is like, what the fuck? You know you got that man killed, right? I suppose you heard about Greyfeather. What's a Greyfeather? Greyfeather is the old man that you accused the other night. I hope they caught the creep. Oh, they did. And then they hanged him. Oh, gee, did I upset you? Look, leave me alone, okay? What? What's the matter? Don't you want to hear the details about how that poor old man was twitching from his ceiling because you decided you wanted a little attention? Maybe Greyfeather was in that alley. And maybe he was there all by himself, but he didn't kill anybody. Just like Jason didn't try to kiss you the other night. You know, Melissa, you like to make up stories, don't you? You like the attention that they get you. Well, this time your little story killed someone. You know, you might as well have put the rope around his neck yourself, you stupid little bitch. It just never occurred to her that that could even happen. And she has a reckoning and she totally is like, shit, you're right. And Marcy is very sorry for getting mad at her. And they become friends at this point. And Hank is really interested in her. I like that conversation, though. Yeah. Marcy says to Melissa, why do you have to be so tough? And M Melissa says, why do you have to be so good? Right. And I loved that Marcy is like, well, I was just being rotten right now. Because she was being... Right. She was being... I'm not always good. I was pretty rotten. This <laughs> yeah, it's just so bad. It's, it's very sappy, <laughs> but it's kind of a sweet moment. It is. It's sweet. And there are a lot of these really great, like, moments between characters in this movie. Like, between... The sheriff and Marcy, between Marcy and Hank, her brother. Like, there are these really sweet moments, except for the one time when the sheriff tells Marcy to do the dishes. And she's like, why do I always have to do the dishes? And he's like, you see any other women here or whatever it is that he says? It's like, oh, shit. <laughs> Hank, it's your turn to do the dishes. I did them last night. Oh, no way, Marcy. You're the lady of the house. Hey, you wash and I'll dry them. Marcy. As soon as you finish the dishes, I want you to jump on your homework, okay? When are you going to meet a nice girl to take care of these domestic chores? <laughs> like, it's pretty fucked. Like, Hank doesn't have to do the dishes because he's the son. Mm. She's the daughter, and there is no mother here, so Marcy's the one that has to do the dishes. Mm -hmm. Aside from that, like, everyone is so fucking cute. 
the 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 library woman and the sheriff like that's what this movie is here for like that's what's great i think about this movie that and the song <laughs> melissa <laughs> Uh, so after that conversation, she uh, Marcy ends up defending Melissa. Her brother is talking shit at the dinner table, and uh. she says she's just an, a sensitive, lonely girl. She can't help that every guy wants her. And, like, it doesn't matter that all these guys want her. Like, that doesn't make you not lonely. Right. She might be hooking up with these guys to try and cure her loneliness, but that's not going to cure loneliness. Yeah. So, the sheriff... Who doesn't think that Greyfeather hung himself is approached by the archaeologist's dad, Melissa's dad, and is like, hey, I just had to fire Jason. He's been stealing from the dig site. I'm missing five ceremonial daggers. It's like, dog, that's his fucking culture. You're stealing from him. <laughs> so fucked. But in any case, he wants the sheriff to look into it. And as a reminder, Jason is still kind of a suspect. So the sheriff, who still doesn't think that Jason did it, has to go question him, at least about these knives. When he gets to Jason's house, Jason's not there, and he just walks inside. What does he find? Blood on the knives? Well, he finds the knives in the first place, and there's blood on one of them. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, mm, this does not look good for Jason. When the archaeologist talks to the sheriff, he's like, hey, you're coming to the party, right? The party's going to be that night. But he can't. He's got to get this stuff figured out. The librarian is also, I, I call her that. I don't know exactly what job she had. She's checking out other MOs that may match what's been going on. Because there's something about it that the sheriff can't shake, that it feels familiar, or something like that. He doesn't know why. So she's been looking into it. He also needs to get them the dagger so they can test the blood. So he's going off to deal with this. Everyone else is going to the Sweet 16 birthday party. And at the Sweet 16 birthday party, old men are talking about how this little 15-year-old, or now 16, I guess, is turning them on. Well, it's the, the racist hicks. We get a slow motion scene of her blowing out her candles. Yeah, really uh, unnecessary. <laughs> there, there's just, there's a lot of things in this movie that you're like, why? <laughs> yes. Melissa and Hank go off to fool around, and she ends up going skinny dipping, well, she's topless, she's wearing her panties, and she goes into the lake that's right there, far enough away from the crowd that nobody will know or even think that they're missing. Meanwhile, mm -hmm. some dude has gotten drunk. Some important dude. Yeah, it's Michael Pataki, the principal from Graduation Day. And he is hitting on Joni. Yeah. Or Joanne. Joanne, as she yeah. she to be called uh -huh. now. And he says, you haven't changed a bit. And then he, he says something about her father. Uh-huh. And she says, don't ever talk about my father. Leave me alone, you lowlife. <laughs> yeah, this was the moment when she was a suspect before, but it's this interaction where it's like, oh, she did it. You find out that in 1956, her dad died. We don't find that out right now, though. Oh, I wrote that. We've, we don't find that out until way later. I wrote it right here. He explains it at the very end. Hmm. Remember how she had a sister and all of that? That's when they're all, after the whole thing is resolved, he's just explaining what happened. Like the end of Psycho. <laughs> anyway. 
So a couple of things are all happening at the same time. This interaction with Michael Pataki is happening and, and Joan. Hank and Melissa are skinny dipping. She gets out and steals his clothes as like a prank. But she's confronted by the Hicks who are assaulting her. And she's freaking out. So the younger one, the, who was the middle brother, is now the youngest brother, hits her and like knocks her out. Which makes it proof that it's not her because while she's been knocked out, someone else dies. Who dies? Oh, yeah, yeah, they die. And we'll, we'll get to that in a second. The sheriff finds out that the blood is chicken blood. So it's not a murder weapon. A red herring. Yep. And that the MO does, in fact, match something that happened in the past. So he needs to rush back. Oh, my God. And he needs to rush back. And so he heads back. Meanwhile, the two Hicks are murdered by someone. It's the killer, though. We know that. And Hank has been running around trying to fight them or whatever. He comes back and he sees Melissa on the ground and Joan is over her, like doting over her, like, oh, my God, she's been knocked out or whatever. He's like, what's going on? And he's kind of behind him. And then she lifts the knife and Hank's like, oh, God, what's going on? And then Sheriff Dan just comes out of frame and just tackles her. <laughs> Before this, she had been shouting, Daddy, don't hurt her anymore. Please wake up. Yeah. He's coming. We have to hide, Joni. Joni, we have to hide. Please wake up, Joni. We have to hide. Oh, no! oh Daddy, don't. Please don't hurt her. Daddy, don't hurt her anymore. No. 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 You stop it. You stop the mark, Trisha. So this is giving us some insight into what actually happened. A little bit. Yes. This whole time, Marcy's been trying to, like, find them, and she hears the screams, and she tries to find out what's going on, and she gets grabbed by the younger one, I think, and she screams, but he's dying anyway. Now Joan is just there with a knife on her own, and... Ends up stabbing herself. Yes. So, now we need to pick up all of these pieces and explain exactly what happened. Kind of. Right. We get, like, a two-sentence explanation of what happened. <laughs> Kelsey, can you explain what was going on here? Not really. From what I've written and from what I remember, it's like her dad was abusive and, like, ended up killing her sister. Okay, so... She ended up killing her father. Her name is Trisha. Okay. Her sister's name was Joanne. And her father was abusive to the two of them and ended up killing Joanne. Trisha, who we know as Joanne, killed their father and ended up going to a mental hospital. Or... Something. Did she... Oh, yeah. No, no. She went to the mental hospital first. Then she broke out and killed the father. I don't remember any of this. Or something like that. It's 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 all in like two sentences. It's as simple as can be, but it's such a non sequitur in relation to everything else that happens. Watch, we're gonna put it in here, and everyone's gonna. It's, it's gonna, gonna be, be so super obvious. obvious and everyone's okay. gonna be like, "What the fuck are you talking about?" Here's the explanation right here. <laughs> well, her sister died twenty years ago in a state mental hospital, and she became Joanne. Is that it? 
wife killed her father to protect Joanne. And then when she died, there was nothing left. Until Melissa and this town filled the void. Really what's going on is that who we know as Joanne, Joni, who is actually Trisha, is thinking that her daughter Melissa is her sister, Joni, the real Joni, and that she's protecting her from their father in the form of all these boys that she's being intimate with. How her mother knows these men that she's meeting when her mother is nowhere around, I don't know. Who knows? (laughs) I do enjoy that the father says, what madness she must have lived with. Yeah. Her father is like really sympathetic for his wife. You know, like, yeah, she's a fucking murderer and he's not like shocked and dismayed. He's just like, God, that must have really sucked. You know, it's like he's so detached from it. I thought that line was said by Marcy's father. No, it's to Marcy's father. The sheriff and the archaeologist are talking, and he says about his wife, what madness she must have lived with. What madness she must have lived with. Well, I love it when Marcy's dad turns to Marcy, and she says, I love you, dad. He says, I love you too, Sherlock. Yes, it's so cute. It's very cute. There's a stinger, though. Melissa. (laughs) They're like, Melissa, are you okay? And she's she's just like not having any of it. And she's just walking away and she goes inside and it's like she's walking in a trance. And then when we see her from the front, she's holding the knife. And that's the the end. As soon as we knew they were doing a stinger, I kept shouting, no. Yep. No. Uh Don't do it. Don't fucking do it. And they did it. Yep. So disappointing because I was so like Chris and I said, this is not an incredible film, but like. We sat down expecting to see a piece of shit. Yes. And this was not a piece of shit. Not a piece of shit. And then they did that at the end, and I was like, what a fucking disappointment. Uh, You turned this into an intriguing murder mystery. Right, and then you ended it with some cheap bullshit. Yeah. But the execution is not great. Like I say, kind of everything great about this movie is the song, and it's the relationships and how people interact with each other. Yes. The actual plotting and everything like that is not great. The twist is not great. It's all rushed at the end, kind of like Psycho, where they now we need to explain everything. We didn't talk at all about how Jason was arrested after they found the knives, and then he, like, totally kicks the other cop and, like, throws him into the cell. I wrote that down. I, I wrote that he had beaten up a cop. But it is totally pointless because he's not involved in the rest of the plot in any way except to just stand there awkwardly while there's this conversation going on and the sheriff is explaining to his daughter what was going on. And he's just standing there like he's a main fucking character. <laughs> it's so weird. I he's do like, remember you like being like, why is Jason there? <laughs> awkwardly standing there why isn't frank mad at him frank is the subordinate to dan and he's the one who got beat up by jason and thrown in the cell and frank's just there and jason's just there and they're frank is not like ah you like nothing also one thing i thought was really fucking weird i don't know man it's like you say this movie was made in the 70s In order to, like, show her that they really care, Hank and Marcy 
pool together to get Melissa a birthday present. Do you remember what this birthday present is? No. Not surprised. Because it's not anything amazing. I did write something about a present, but I didn't know what my note meant. They got her a handkerchief. I don't remember that at all. She opens. Yeah, it's so weird. (laughs) She's like, oh, a handkerchief. Happy birthday, Melissa. Thanks, Morris. It's a handkerchief. I'm like, seriously? And she's like super touched. And they're like, we thought you'd really like it. (laughs) It's so weird. I don't know. (laughs) That's kind of all I have to say about this movie. That's all I have to say. What do you think the movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? Keeping in mind... Does it even have one? It doesn't have one. Okay. It doesn't have a Metacritic. It doesn't have a cinema score. It does, however, when this happens, we resort to the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay. Out of 220 audience reviews, what do you think it got? 27? 19. Oh. 19. Audience score. That's now, harsh. I don't think this is a good movie. It's way harsh. By die. any stretch. But there's a lot of redeeming quality in here that just made us kind of fall in love with the charm of the movie. Yeah. It is not a 19. No. That's way underrated. Yeah. But that said, what would you give it? I'd give it a 50. I was going to be a little more generous and give it a 55. Okay. But it's so funny that we landed around the same spot. Like we say, it's not a good movie. I've said it like five times now. I I really feel like I need to stress that fact. Just because we enjoyed talking about it, and there's a lot of stuff that we liked about the movie, doesn't mean that you guys should go out and watch it now. Right. Uh, It's just, it had things that we were entertained by, it had things we enjoyed, and that's more than I was expecting. I was expecting this to be... I was expecting this to be a 25% movie that was about a teenage girl killing boys. That's what I thought it was going to be. When I think about these kind of movies, I always kind of go back to, what's that turkey one? The Thanksgiving one? Home Sweet Home? Is that it? Where the dude just hops in from outside the frame? Yes. Ah! That's Home Sweet Home. God, that movie. Seriously. Thanksgiving Day horror movies are pretty much the worst. Yeah. All the ones that we have like lined up for over the years, because I've ha- I have us set up for like the next three years. Oh, they're terrible. Yeah, it. That Thanksgiving was... is not a good time for <laughs> horror. But Home Sweet Home, that's what I thought this was going to be like, and it absolutely wasn't. No, like I thought it was going to be like something they might review on Best of the Worst of Red Letter Media, mm-hmm. right? Like that's what I thought it was going to be. Not at all. No. No. It was Fun competent and it movie. had some good things in it. Unfortunately, it's just not great. There's just not yeah, there's nothing special uh-huh. about there's, it. Yeah. Nothing about the filmmaking that's in, that's remarkable at all. No. No acting really stands out. No. Except maybe the sheriff and the the woman that really loves him. Those are just cute relationships. Right, that's what I'm saying. It's the relationships that are there that are just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that is 1983's Sweet 16. Before we move on to our next movie, Kelsey, Trivial Pursuit Horror Edition. Do you want an easy question or an impossible question? Uh, Now that you set it up that way, I want the impossible question. Oh, okay. Well, because if it's an easy question and I get it wrong, if it's an impossible question and I get it wrong, who cares? It's impossible. Okay. This is a movie that we have both seen, but not for the show. 
Uh-huh. It, we're going to see it for the show, and I'm very excited to do it for the show, but we haven't done it yet. In 2009's The Loved Ones. Oh, yes, the Australian one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Who is Brent Mitchell's girlfriend? Is it Lola Stone, Holly, Mia Valentine, or Carla? So he has to say that our main character is his girlfriend and she is Lola Stone. Good memory. Yeah. Is that the answer? No. Yeah, I don't know who his actual girlfriend is. So you couldn't guess if it was Holly, Mia Valentine, or Carla? No. It's Holly. Yeah. That I, I can't believe you remembered guess. that her name was Lola, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Lola. I knew. The Lola Stone I got from How do you I remember your, that? I don't know. Weird. <laughs> I don't know. It's a good movie. It's an interesting take on torture porn. Yeah. And I hate torture porn, but I love this because it's a, it's a spin on it. I've never seen. I can't think of any other movie that does yeah. this. So I'm going to ask you another Stephen King question. Yay! Again, I am reading from the horror quiz book. Oh. Horror movie quiz book. Chris is ahead of me. He has resources I don't have. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to get this one. Okay. What film... Based on a Stephen King novel, did David Cronenberg direct in 1983? So David Cronenberg, 1983, based on a Stephen King novel. Is it like a segment of one of the movies that have a bunch of them? No. Okay. It is a complete movie. I'll give you another hint. There was a there was a TV series about it, too. Ah! Oh, the dead zone. Yeah, the really that gave it to you. Huh? Oh, so easy. <laughs> My parents love the dead zone. The movie or the series? Both. Yeah. They are big big fans. It's a weird movie, especially when your main character is fucking up his ass, Christopher Walken. And like a kind of younger Christopher Walken too. A serious Christopher yes. Walken. Before. Not like a young Christopher Walken when he was just a dancer, <sighs> which is kind of how he got to start. But but a serious acting. Oh yeah, and there's like it's about assassinating the president, and it's it's interesting. It's interesting. It's depressing. <laughs> it is. Yeah. All right, Kelsey. Next up is a sequel to a movie we've covered before, and I have to say, if you haven't watched the first one, or listened to us talk about it, absolutely don't watch this one. No. You have to know what's going on. Yes. There's so much required knowledge. They do give you, like, a little, like... You'll be so lost, though. There, there There's is a little primer. At, at the beginning, there is this whole, like, this is what happened to me in the first movie. Yeah. But if you haven't seen it, they go through it so fast... And there's so many concepts and and there's so Easter many in jokes. And, yeah. You know, it's like it's like trying to watch one of Kevin Smith's new movies and trying to laugh at all the jokes. You won't understand half of them. Yeah. Anyway, what we're talking about is 2019's Happy Death Day to You, written by Christopher Landon with characters by Scott Lobdell, directed by Christopher Landon, starring Jessica Roth, Israel Broussard, and Fi Vu or Fi Vu. I don't know how you pronounce his name. That's Ryan. It is $6 to rent and $20 to buy. We got it on iTunes. 
considering that you should have watched the first one, should people watch this one? I'm going to say no. If you really liked the first one, you'll probably like this one too. I don't know about that because all of the things that I liked about the first one were pretty much taken out. So This basically drops any pretense of it having horror elements. Kind of, yeah. And that it's more sci-fi than it is horror. And it's more comedy than anything yeah. else. Like mm-hmm. it's just a silly comedy that has some sci-fi shit in it, and there happens to be a murderer that you hardly ever see. I will say this about it. Now, the first movie, its ratings have have adjusted slightly since I originally made notes. Like I think when we recorded that episode, I gave you the new rating, which it still is. But when I wrote it down, I, I looked in my notes to see what the original was rated to compare it to this one. All three sources, Rotten Tomatoes, Metacritic, CinemaScore, were the exact same. So people obviously like it just as much as they like the first one. But it gets more complicated, and so it falls apart way more than the first one does. Like the first one... I remember we kind of liked it. It was okay. Yeah. Uh, It was, it was was fun. It was funny. It went too far in some places. It had maybe confidence in some bits that weren't very good. There were some unexplained things. There were some, some uh, plot holes, some loose ends and that kind of stuff. But I'm okay with that. Yeah. Because anytime you're dealing with time travel, you're going to come into those problems. Yes. It's it's impossible not to. So I, I usually just, when I see a movie that deals with that, I just mm-hmm. say, I'm okay. This movie's response to that is, okay, what if we had time travel and multiple dimensions? And it just gets way, way messier. And confusing. And Yeah, like it's hard to keep track of what you're even supposed to care about. Yeah. Or what what people don't know or do know. And and they ruined my one favorite character. Yeah. They made her so lame in this one. They really did. She's not the badass bitch that yeah, she's just she kind was of in ditzy. the first one. Yeah, she's kind of an she's more of an idiot. And like I, I know that some of you are probably thinking, well, she was an idiot in the first one. Yes, but in a very different way. Yes. I'm not upset I saw it, but I would say this is a bad movie. I would too. So, so we're going to talk about yeah, it. <laughs> I'm sorry if you really like this movie and you expect us to like it too, because it's a fun movie. It is. It's okay. But yeah, I, I, it's not that I would say this isn't good. I would say that it is bad. In any case, you can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about 2019's Happy Death Day to you. Okay, recap. I was stuck reliving the same day over and over again. I thought it ended the loop. But I'm back. Ah! Everything's different. This time, the killer is coming after all of us. This is crazy, man. So I'm going to have to die over and over to save all of you? Yeah. Mm. Who are you? Happy Death Day to you. Okay, first, before we get started on the plot of Happy Death Day to you... I want to point out that the whole movie starts out with the Universal promo, and it plays out in a grid, kind of like that episode of Rick and Morty with either Key or Peel, I can't remember which it is, where they play the Time Police, and they do something really cool in that episode, and it's fucking awesome. But this movie does absolutely nothing with that concept of like seeing multiple realities on screen at the same time play out 
overlapping each other would have been great, but we don't get any of that. And it's like, I got a tease and I'm like, oh, it's the Rick and Morty split screen thing. Nope. They don't do anything with it. (laughs) So that promo aside, (laughs) how does Happy Death Day to You begin? We open on Brian, the friend of Carter, who in the last movie ended up being Tree's boyfriend. He is his dorm mate. And we open up on him, so we think that all the things that he sees are going to be important. They're not. Yeah, they're important once. Yeah. Like, I wrote all of it down because I was expecting to see it multiple times. No. Yeah, I mean, because, okay, so the movie takes place in the beginning, takes place on the 19th which is the day after the day that keeps getting repeated in the first movie. If you know from the promos or just a couple minutes into this movie, he relives this day over again and he's caught in a time loop. But they do it like once. I mean, I was happy that when they repeated it again, I was like, okay, he's in his first loop. Let's keep this short. And they kind of do. They run through it one more time. But he has another day where there's like very specific, distinct things happening seconds after each other over and over again. And nobody lives a day like this. I feel like we pointed that out in the first movie. Yes. Similar sort of thing. And it's like, okay, here comes the gimmick. Let's please not relive it 12 times like we do in the first movie. Oh, we don't. Don't worry. No. So how does his first loop end? He gets killed. Well, we should mention that he's got this quantum lab thing going on. Yeah, he's working on his thesis, and he has this device called Sisyphus. He calls it Sissy for short. Now, Sisyphus, you might recognize that name, comes from Greek mythology. He's the guy who rolls the boulder up the hill, and every day it rolls back down to the bottom of the hill, and he has to roll it back up again. Hey, look, it's a metaphor for the time loop. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Just happens to be named Sisyphus. And I don't think they ever explain why it's named Sisyphus. No. They just do. And, oh, you're supposed to get it. But then, like, okay, well, then why would they name it that, though? I don't know. It doesn't make any sense. And he's working on this project. The principal comes in and shuts it down because it's been causing power outages everywhere, which explains the power outage from yesterday. I'm not going to get deep into this, but there are problems with this. In that, later on, we'll get loops back on the 18th, and the Dean comes in on the 18th and shuts it down. But you can explain away all these inconsistencies with, it's a different universe, because we're going to get a different universe. And it just seems like a bad cop-out for inconsistencies. Yes. You know, they introduce the Dean on the 19th in this world, but he keeps coming back on the 18th in, in the other world. So... We'll call it Reality Prime, which is the one we're in right now, and Reality Beta, which we'll get into later. So, he ends up getting killed by someone wearing the same baby mask that the person was wearing that killed Tree. I'd say that's a convenient contrivance, except for the fact that these masks are everywhere at this school. And if you were trying to hide your identity, right. But if you're trying to hide your identity, It'd be a very easy way to hide your identity. Yes. Yeah. The one thing that we should mention about the quantum thing is that it has fired off on its own. So up until this point, it hasn't been working. Yeah, it happened in the middle of the night, the day before. Which Which is is what we assume is why Tree was able to relive her life over and over again. Yes. 
One additional problem with this is that not, it never gets into how it chooses is going to live that time loop. Now, you could say, well, it's somebody who dies. But then, so everyone who dies on the 18th, every person in the world who died on the 18th. Or is it possible that it's only within a certain limit? But they don't talk about it. Right. So, anyway... It's up to guessing. I there's guess. this kind of stuff. There's all these open questions that this leaves you with. And it makes it very difficult to just enjoy it. Well, for me, again, this is something that Chris and I differ on. When I sit down to watch a movie about time travel, I never try to understand it because I just, I'm like, if I did, I would find a bunch of plot holes and I wouldn't be able to enjoy the film. Yeah. Time travel is, I think time travel in reality is nothing like we picture it to be. In, in movies and film. Time travel's and impossible. That's what, well, that's what I think, but I think there's probably variations on that, like the further you get away. I know it's proven that gravity has an effect on time, and so the idea that people that leave for long times away from the Earth end up experiencing time differently, so they might travel through time on their way back, like in Interstellar, when they're in that one place and and they land on the planet and they're there for like an hour, but the guy who's in orbit goes through like 24 years. Like that's a form of time travel. But in all cases, time is moving forward. Nobody's moving backwards in time. Yes. So let's just get that out there. Time travel is impossible. And in any time travel movie, they're going to be inconsistencies. Like every single one. So of course, Ryan wakes up. Again, in his car. Yes. The one cute thing I did write down that he did on the first day, he gets a jump scare because this homeless man jumps up out of the bushes and asks for money. Yeah. And Ryan is slowly realizing that things are happening to him that already happened to him the day before. Yeah. So to see if the homeless man is there, he throws a rock into the bushes and he jumps up and he's like, what the fuck, man? <laughs> And that was kind of funny. Uh-huh. Then we get an entire retelling of the first film. Yep. Because he shows up at the at the dorm again, and he's like, whoa, I have deja vu. And she's like, oh, my God, what? Did you die last time you lived this? And he's like, yeah, actually, I did. She's like, okay, I've been through this before. Here's my story. And she tells her whole story all over again uh, to Ryan, because Carter should already know this story. But they tell it so so, okay, for those of us who have seen it, it's like, oh, my God, I get it. I already know what happened. Anyone who hadn't seen it, it goes so fast. Yeah. I think it would be difficult to follow. Yeah. Well, like, again, if you haven't seen the first movie, you should not be watching this one. <laughs> okay. Recap. So I was stuck reliving the same day, Monday the 18th, over and over and over again until someone wearing a Bayfield baby mask murdered me on the night of my birthday. I had no idea who it was because I was such a crazy bitch. And so many people hit my gut. So, I heard her suggestion, I made a list of suspects. Turns out it was my roommate Lori who kept on helping a serial killer escape from the hospital hoping it would look like he murdered me when in fact it was her along and all because she was jealous of an affair I was having with my college professor Gregory who was married. I know, pretty shitty. But anyways, I finally kicked Lori's crazy ass out a window and killed her, which broke the loop, or so I thought. But now it only looks like I passed the loop on to you, and you're going to be stuck reliving this day until we figure out how to stop it. So Tree finds out about his thesis. So she's like, that must be what caused it. Let's go look at that. To which he explains that according to his 
thesis, time can be slowed down on the molecular level. What that has to do with creating a time loop, I don't know. But that's what happened. And so she gets mad because she realizes you're the reason that this happened to me. I don't know why she'd be mad, though, considering it was the only way she was going to survive. Right. They don't talk about that. It's around this point that we see my favorite character from the last movie. Danielle. Danielle shows up and she's just like, we are in crisis mode. (laughs) Why would anyone join our sorority now that we have a death curse? Because this is still within the reality that Tree has pushed her roommate out the window. Yes. Reality prime. And once Danielle realizes that Tree is sitting with all these quote-unquote nerds she's just like call me when you're done with comic-con okay (laughs) where were you what do you mean you ditched our house meeting it was canceled when um after i kicked my murdering roommate out of a window exactly who's gonna pledge kappa now that we have a death curse we're in crisis mode tree anywho call me as soon as you're done with your creepy little comic-con meeting This is the only good version of Danielle. This is. And that's the last we're going to see of her. Yes, because in the next universe... (laughs) She's a completely different Danielle. And she fucking sucks. (laughs) Really upset. She she made the movie for me in the first one. Yeah. Anyway, so Tree and Carter decide to try and help Ryan survive. Yes. So they end up going to a basketball game. Which is so dumb... Because everyone there is wearing a baby mask. Yes. I don't know why they would go to that game. Yeah. Also, they had two games two nights in a row. Yeah. Well, doubleheader, I guess. Do you ever do that? Yeah. uh I mean, not really in basketball, but (laughs) in any case, a fire alarm goes off and everyone's filing out of the building and there's a lot of chaos and Tree and Carter get split up. From Ryan. And you'd think that, like, they'd all be holding hands or something, but no, it's just so obviously, like, we need to get Ryan away from them. But also, this is, seems to be part of their plan, because then Ryan sees the babyface killer and runs away, and then when there's a confrontation, Tree and Carter are there to save him. He runs to, he is in the middle of... Tons of people. Even if this guy stabbed him, which I fucking doubt that he would, even if he did, you would be surrounded by people that could stop the killer Uh and could help you. Look, he's got a knife. Yes. But no. Nope. He doesn't say a word and then runs off to places where there's no one. It's a contrivance, and that's a word that we're going to be using a lot. There are a lot of contrivances here. Uh, Not that the concept of contrivance is bad, but that if it's just a contrivance that's not backed up by what people would really do or the way people would behave, that's bad. But somehow, Tree and Carter find them, and yes, Tree ends up knocking the killer out. Then the question of, who is it? Take off the mask, and it's Ryan! Yeah! It's another version of Ryan, and he's desperate to kill, so we'll call him Ryan Gamma, because we don't know what reality he comes from. Nope. Ryan Gamma is trying to kill Ryan Prime because 
They can't live in the same universe, which they never explain. And it never comes up again. Yeah, this will never happen again. You will never have two of the same character in the same universe The way again. this first act is structured, it makes it seem like the killer in the new reality is going to be another version of Tree. Nope. There's no duplicate people for the rest of the fucking movie. No. It's so dumb. It's super, super dumb. And supposedly, you know, if he if he kills the other version of himself, that will close the time loop. But doesn't say how or why. What? It just will. <laughs> just no, no sense. Not even trying. Like, at the very least, like, other time movies try to do something. Or there's my favorite... Which is funny because I don't really like the movie, but I love in Looper where he just I says, like fuck it. I don't want to talk about time travel shit. Because if we start talking about it, then we're going to be here all day talking about it, making diagrams with straws. It doesn't matter. He just says, it won't make any sense anyway. So, so I'm let's not, not have this conversation. Exactly. Yeah. Uh -huh. I love it. If they had at least done something like that, I could at least laugh and say, okay, at least they realize this is dumb. No, we're just not going to talk about it. We're not going to try to explain it, and we're not going to make a joke out of it. We're just going to ignore it completely, and that pisses me off. Yeah. <laughs> this is where I wrote, this is really bad. <laughs> so Ryan, Ryan Prime decides he needs to start up this reactor. Yes. And now keep in mind, it's a big plot point throughout this the rest of this movie that... He doesn't know what equation he needs to plug into this the machine. Like you don't need to, you don't plug equations into machines. You plug values into machines. I don't know anything about this. You wouldn't stuff, need to, so to plug in a whole fucking equation. You might do an equation. I have to just nod my head when Chris says. And this then input stuff. an answer. But anyway, it doesn't matter. He just knows what he needs to plug into the machine this time. And, and the, of course, the principal guy shows up. It's like, I thought I told you to shut this down. Turn it off. Unplug it. And we have two Ryans here. And before anything can happen, the whole reactor blows up. And we get this kind of interesting slow-mo shot of everyone getting thrown away Interesting, but then leads nowhere. It is where reality prime picks up again later on in the movie. It just slows down to play some song that they think will be funny because other movies have done slow-mo with, with serious songs what and it's been funny. I can't remember what it was. I didn't fucking write it down. But it, it felt like they saw X-Men. And they were yeah. like, oh, that was clever. The time in a bottle. I want to put that yeah. in here. <laughs> so they do. And then we don't even see it, like, for the entire explosion. We just see, like, each character slowly being pushed away, and then they all fall to the ground, and then it leads to nothing. Yes. So. What the fuck was the point of that? Well, that pushed Tree back into a different dimension, we find out, but she's reliving the 18th over again. So, she wakes up. No fucking way. She's in Carter's room again. And all the same things are happening, kind of, but there are variations. She's explaining everything that's going to happen, and certain things happen. Okay, in a dimension where entire personalities can be different, the car alarm's still going off, the dude is still passing out, 
during the pledge. The lady is still asking to save the rainforest, which has more profound meaning now. And certain things happen exactly the same way. But, but entire people are completely different people. Yeah, it's it's weird. And But there are some fun things. So she wakes up and... She says this is a nightmare, and she starts screaming at everyone. Like everyone yeah. who speaks to her, she starts. She just screams That's at funny, them, yeah. which was quite funny. And then when she sees the guy, okay, so we didn't say this earlier in the original universe at the basketball game. She saw the guy who was in love with her, and he was sitting in the basketball game, and he had a boyfriend yeah, there, and she like thumbs up him, yeah. which was cute, uh-huh. a little unbelievable considering it had been one day, right? Uh-huh. But it was cute. Uh, and then <laughs> during this segment where Tree is just angrily screaming at everyone who speaks to her, she sees him. You know, he pops out from behind a corner. Is like, why haven't you been returning my calls? And she says, you are gay. <laughs> and then runs away. And it's so good because it's like, that is me when I feel <laughs> like I've already explained something to someone <laughs> multiple times. And, and, you just and in this instance, it's funny because the people you're explaining it to haven't heard this. They haven't been living through it multiple times. Yes. So she is trying to explain to Carter and Ryan exactly what's going on and how she's in a time loop again. And she's so fucking pissed. And they go to her dorm room. And this is when she notices the first difference. Danielle isn't there to confront her. She's used to Danielle saying, you sneaky little biatch. Yeah. And it doesn't happen. She goes upstairs and confronts Lori. Where is it? Where's what? Where's the cupcake you got me for my birthday or whatever? And she's like, there's no cupcake. Anyway, happy birthday. Bye. And I have to go to work. So things are starting to be a little bit different. And this is when Ryan and Carter are like, "Eh, maybe this isn't real. But Carter, of course, just like he does in the first movie, points out that this is like another film. In the first movie, he says this is like Groundhog Day. Yeah. To which Tree says, what's Groundhog Day? Which was annoying. Then he says, this is like Back to the Future. Back to the Future 2. To which he says, what's Back to the Future? You know, this kind of reminds me of Back to the Future 2. Totally. Right? Mm-hmm. With Marty McFly? Doc? The DeLorean? Sorry. Are you serious? You've never seen Back to the Future? No, I... How do you... In the first film, when she didn't know what Groundhog Day was, that kind of pissed me off, but I do specifically know people who have never seen Groundhog Day. Yeah. Uh-huh. I know people who have never seen it, so I was willing to let that go. When she brings up Back to the Future, it is so, A, impossible for me to ever believe that a person in America hasn't at least heard in college back to the future yeah uh-huh okay first of all there's that second of all if any of you have ever seen knocked up this harkens back to a joke that they make in knocked up where paul rudd and seth rogan are talking about back to the future and neither paul rudd's wife nor seth rogan's girlfriend whatever your name is i can't remember it neither of them have ever heard of Back to the Future. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like if Doc Brown screeched up in front of you in the DeLorean, open the doors like, hey, Allison, come on, I got the car here. What do you want to do? No part of your brain would have been like, you know, maybe we'll go back to that night and I would maybe put a condom on Ben's dick. That would be not, you never got that flash? No, and I don't know what you're talking about. Where we're going, we don't need roads. <laughs> exactly, you wouldn't do that? I don't know who Doc 
Brown is? What, what are you talking about? Doc Brown is the guy who's Christopher Lloyd. He invented the DeLorean, the time machine. He's the one who made the time machine. It's the time machine. Everyone has, has the time machine image. And in Knocked Up, it's kind of a slight on women. Let, now, let's, I, I just want to say really fast, I do not think Knocked Up is against women. I do not feel that way. Knocked Up is one of my favorite comedies. But it is really stupid. Right. It is a very stupid joke. It's a contrivance. And In order it, to make this joke, you need to contrive a reality where an average student who's going to school has never heard of Back to the Future. And in both movies, it's just like, it's because she's a woman. Uh-huh. That we don't know the most popular, like, some of the most popular American culture icons. We don't know that because we're women. They try to offset this by the fact that there's... I don't even know any of my students who have never seen Back to the Future. They try to offset this by the fact that there's two new people in the cast now. There's Samar and Dre, who are Ryan's partners on his project. And so they have this nerdy young woman, Dre, who I don't know if she's trans or not. The movie never gets there. But so now you have a woman who is nerdy and now you can say everything you want about any other woman because now you have a, a nerdy representative like okay yeah but in any case he explains ryan explains the reality thing where he i uh, what did i say i said he's gonna fold that napkin and then punch a hole through it with a pencil isn't he and sure enough that's exactly what happens and then he f- unfolds it and he's like look it's multiple realities okay so we're in multiple realities now interesting I have to go, I have lunch with my dad, because it's my birthday again. Yay, I have to do this all over again. She goes to lunch with her dad. Oh, but before they do, Mm -hmm. we find out something about Danielle and Carter. Oh, right, yes. Danielle shows up, and she knows all of them there. She acts like she's blind, because apparently in this universe, she's an actress. Yes. So she's trying to, she wants to be in- Helen Keller, in The Miracle Worker. She wants to be in The Miracle Worker, but she says, I'm I'm trying out for Anne Frank, which, okay, is a stupid joke, and I get where they're going with it, but I'm like, dude, if she's a theater chick, she would fucking know. Right. But anyway, continue. She is dating Carter. Now, this presents a whole- lot of issues again when you're playing around with realities like this you just forget shit like for instance carter had no idea who tree was yeah he's dating her best fucking friend who's in the same sorority as no, her. no 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 no. they establish that they know each other tree's unaware because tree hasn't existed in this universe prior but he knows her as Danielle's friend who got too drunk at a party and he took care of her. I say, if Danielle knows Ryan in this dimension, why wouldn't Tree? There's something going on in this moment where it's implied that Tree and... and No, it's just because Tree was unaware. So you were no, on... No, no, no. Here it is. No, it's Ryan. Ryan's the issue. Okay. Dan, uh, Tree and Ryan don't know each other. Oh, that's right, because Ryan says, who's this crazy white bitch? Yes, but Danielle knows Ryan? I mean, I would imagine that it's because Danielle's dating Carter is the only reason she knows Ryan, but but it would make more sense that Carter would know Danielle's friends. Okay, so then why is it that when Danielle shows up, she's not like, Tree, why are you hanging out with my friends? I agree. I agree. It's It's one or the other. It can't be both. I agree. So, anyway... 
We also find out that Danielle in this universe is seen as... Kind. Kind and extremely generous. Well, she's still super ditzy and super selfish and self-absorbed, but she tries to be caring. In the first movie, there's this scene when they're having their sorority, the house meeting or whatever, where they're like, we need to pick a new charity. There's no way in hell we're doing the special needs art fair again. That's the charity she says she's excited about working for. Oh, interesting. And this is the special needs art fair. And we still need to pick this year's charity. I can say right now, there's no way we're doing the special needs art fair again. We picked this year's charity. Are you ready for it? We're doing the special needs art fair again. Nice. You do so much good, Danielle. I I really admire that. Oh, please. It just warms my heart seeing all those little faces. I mean, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they try to hug you too long and it gets a little uncomfortable. But you just get used to it. And at the end of the day, there is no greater gift in life than the love of a child. So now Tree goes to have lunch with her dad. Only to discover that they're waiting for a third person, and it's her mom. Now this will cause consternation in Tree, because obviously she loves her mom. Her mom died in the original reality. That's caused a rift between her and her father. And she wants to live in a reality where her mother is still alive. And she's willing to give up Carter for that. Yes. Because Danielle and Carter are dating. Yeah, in this reality, and... Initially, she decides that that's worth it. There's a lot of speeches in this movie. We'll get into that in a little bit. But they talk about, like, you know, what you're willing to give up for the people that you love. Or, you know, Carter says she's not living her own life. And this comes up because she realizes later on in the movie that she doesn't remember any of these experiences she's had with her mom this whole time that her mom has been alive in this reality. Because it's not her her life. life. Yeah. And... She at one point is, she has to face the fact that the experiences you had in your original universe have caused you to be who you are. Yeah. And you take that away and it makes who you are meaningless. Yeah. Which is an interesting thesis. Yes, it's an interesting idea. But in reality, in my opinion, if there really are multiple universes... And again, you've already I, you've already told me that yes, there are going to be multiple versions of Tree, even though we haven't seen her yet. Well, you know, Ryan explains that in Ryan explains that in this version of reality, when she jumped into this version of reality, she must have knocked the other version into Tree, the other version of Tree into another reality. So I guess so. So we're not supposed to expect another version of Tree, which might be a subversion when you find out there is one. There isn't one. <laughs> So maybe that's what happened to Ryan. One version got knocked into another version, which knocked that version into a different reality, which was reality prime. But why right. that doesn't cascade, why it's not like a chain reaction, who knows? So does that mean the other tree is trying to kill the first right, tree? Right, right. And that, where's that story? Yeah. They're making a third movie, by the way. Oh, God. <laughs> One thing I will give this movie is that I was really worried when I saw the trailer where she goes back to the 18th that we'd be getting the same shit all over again and at least that's not the case I put at least it's not the same exact thing over and over again for a second movie things are a little bit different she ends up getting stabbed and wakes up 
in the same, this time the same dimension where Danielle is dating Carter, etc. Yeah, dimension beta. Chris says he didn't notice this. I noticed it, and this is where I wrote it. Several times throughout the movie, they will call each other dumb or dummy. And it's really jarring. I didn't notice it. I know. You didn't notice uh-huh. it. So, obviously, my opinion is different than other people's. But for me, it was super jarring because every time they used it, it felt really forced. It felt like they had too many bad words. And if they it kept those in, it would have made it rated R. So they just took the word out and replaced it with dummy or dumb. And like... It kind of felt like when I'm grading one of my students' essays, and I notice that they use a particular word over and over again, yeah, and I start uh-huh. circling it, and I'm like, look how many times you use this word. That's how I felt about the word dumb in this film, and it felt super out of place, because how many college kids do you know that look at their friends and say, you dummy? Yeah, uh-huh. You don't. Yeah. Because they don't use that word. And look, I get it. You want to take out bad words. That's fine. They're The English vocabulary is enormous. It's PG-13, but that doesn't mean... They say fuck like twice? You're only allowed to say fuck once. Well, because she wakes up and says no fucking way the first time. Uh Uh-huh. Then later in the film, I'm pretty sure she says fuck again. Okay, so the MPAA is bullshit. You're allowed one non-sexual fuck in a PG-13 movie. When Jason Bourne goes to Mars, what's that movie? The Martian. The Martian. <laughs> Matt Damon in The Martian. He gets to say it twice. Fuck. Oh, fuck you, Mars. They let that through because, I guess, because it was like, the movie could potentially have cultural impact or something. Like, it was it was an important enough movie that they let it get away with two fucks. Well, we'll see. I don't know. Maybe they changed the rules. But, yeah. In any case, how does she get stabbed? Isn't it in her room? She goes, she sees a news report that... The serial killer guy from the first movie who is still alive in this reality. He's still at the hospital in this reality where Lori works, who she thinks is the actual killer. And so she's like, fuck, even though my mom's still alive and everything, like, the serial killer still exists. And I still have to solve this issue where there might be a killer out and about. So she goes to the hospital. She goes into his room. The cop arrests her, cuffs her, and the babyface killer ends up killing the serial killer. And again, we think this is Lori. She runs away from the cop to the elevator where she runs into Lori. So in this reality, in reality beta, Lori is not the babyface killer. He, in fact stabs Lori in this in this particular loop of time and kills Lori and she r- is running away she gets to the roof she's running she's running she's looking behind her and she just falls right off the 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 roof of the building that's right i forgot about that when i wrote she gets stabbed i must have meant lori yeah so 
Now she's in this time loop in Dimension Beta. Then she meets up with Ryan, Samar, and Dre. What do they need to do? They know they they're accepting what she's saying as true, but how do they get her back to her own dimension? They have to figure out that equation. Yes. That they don't know. Because again, remember, this worked out of nowhere. They weren't there when it happened. Yeah. And every time up until this point, it hasn't worked. Yeah, and apparently it doesn't keep records. So they're just like, <laughs> so dumb. we don't know how it works, and it's going to take us a while to fucking figure it out. And the problem is, is that she's going to continue to die, so she needs to memorize every single time it doesn't work. No. You're right that that's what the movie says, <laughs> but she doesn't need to. They establish that it needs to be a particular algorithm that they need to plug into this code, which is, again, really fucking dumb. <laughs> but it's going to take them more than a day. And once the day restarts, they're not going to remember what equations they already tried. So we're fucked. And Tree's like, well, no, I carry my memories with me through these loops. So I just need to remember. I just need to memorize the entire equation. What? No. Put the equations in a list that's ordered some way and then remember which number on the list you're on. That'd be a good way to if do it. If it's like, hey, show up. Okay. We ordered the, the, the equations in alphabetical order or whatever, and we're on number 17. That's all you'd need to remember. But no, she, this is important. She memorizes entire long equations that she does not understand. And she needs to die multiple times in order to do that. I'd like to point something out here. Uh-huh. As Chris was saying, she needs to memorize it according to her. And so, and, and the idea is, well, I'm just going to keep dying, so I have to memorize it so that I can keep telling you over and over again. And she was like, so what, I just have to wait to get killed every day? And they were like, well, you could just kill yourself. <sighs> Fun suicide montage. But also, why can't she try not to die? Right, and then they can still send her back. No one thinks of this. That ended the loop last time. No one, no one says this. Yeah, as long as she can survive the day, she'll be fine, right? Exactly. So does it matter if she dies by getting murdered or if she kills herself? No. Okay, uh -huh. that doesn't make any difference. Okay, all right. But I don't want to wait to get killed every day. Okay. Could we try and make it so you don't die? Yeah. Could we try and find a way to evade this killer? Right. No? We, we figured it out last time. Can't we do it this time? No? <laughs> we can't. Like, it boggled my mind. I was I wrote it in all caps. I was just like, what is going on? Again, it is a contrivance in order to have the moments in this movie that they wanted to have. Yes. So then they have a montage of her killing herself, which is straight out of Groundhog Day. The difference with Groundhog Day is that he wants to die. Yeah. Because... He's trying to kill himself because... Yeah, he wants to die. He can't get out of this time loop, and he's not being murdered by anyone. Yeah. It's simply that he keeps waking up, and he doesn't understand why. He doesn't get that the entire reason is supposed to fall in love. Okay? Here, they make this long, f funny, according to them, funny sequence of her killing herself. And it's like, 
Did you not understand why he did it in Groundhog Day? Yeah. Did that go over your head? No, it's just that they're using it for different reasons in their movie. But, you know, she drinks bleach. She jumps out of a plane. Like, it's crazy content warning for suicide, folks. Like, yeah, anyway. I mean, also, on top of that, we already learned in the first film that every time she dies... It has an adverse effect on her body. Yes, and this is important. Because how long do you think it would take her to memorize that equation? That crazy long equation that they're all super impressed with. It has to be less than two weeks. Because she lived through the 18th 12 times. She died 11 times. And she was beginning to feel the negative physical effects, which comes up again in this movie. Exactly. After 11 times. Now think, this is her same body, so she's not starting over from scratch, but they're acting like she is. How many times do you think it would take for them to to have her memorize this equation? I don't know. Would it take a week? Two weeks? On top of the 11 deaths she had before? It's a little unbelievable that she wouldn't be feeling shitty like right away. Also, I can't remember if it's in this movie or another movie where she has that problem and then she dies. Oh, no, it's in this movie. In this movie, when she starts to have that problem, she has stomach pains and then she passes out. And then Carter takes her to the hospital where she meets the guy she was having an affair with, whom apparently in this reality she's not having an affair with. Lori is. Well, Lori was having one with him in the original one, too. Or wanted to, or was no, a previous they were both, affair? They were both or, sleeping okay, with him. Okay, anyway. That's why Lori hated her. Right, anyway. Oh, good point. But then when she dies after that, wouldn't you think that she would collapse and have to go to the hospital every single death after that? If not worse? Mm-hmm. But no, it happens once, so they can get her to the hospital, and then they just fuck it. They forget about it. Mm-hmm. She also throws herself into a tree removal, like a wood chipper, a la Fargo. And the name of the service is Biff's Tree Removal. Of course, Biff being an obvious reference to Back to the Future, where Biff says, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Now, why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? It's leave, you idiot. Make like a tree and leave. You sound like a damn fool when you say it wrong. All right, then leave. Uh, Tree kills herself in their wood chipper. Get it? Her name is Tree. Tree removal service. And in Back to the Future, they go from Twin Pine to Lone Pine. They've removed a tree. So, multiple Back to the Future jokes all in one sight gag. Okay. Couple of quick things that I want to point out during her her times of reliving. Uh Uh-huh. Random little joke they put in there. She wakes up and she finally asks Carter, what are you looking for? Because every time she wakes up, and this was in this original movie too, he's always looking for something and we never know what it is. Oh yeah, we find out it's his mouth guard. His mouth guard because he grinds his teeth. And it's funny because I also grind my teeth. I also have a mouth guard. Anyway, what the hell are you always looking for under that desk? Oh, it's my mouth guard. Yeah, I, I grind my teeth at night. Uh, mystery solved. My question is, why are you looking for your mouth guard 
in some random little, like, cubbyhole in the morning. I'm guessing it fell out in the middle of the night. In his cubbyhole? In the corner of his room? Well, that's where the other bed is. There are oh. two beds in this room. Okay. He slept in one. She slept in Ryan's bed. Okay, but if it fell out and then, he, and then he just puts it in his mouth and I'm like, that's so disgusting. Well, just to demonstrate. <laughs> but like, it fell out. So it fell somewhere in this room. Yeah. In a dorm room that many people have lived in. Yeah. That's disgusting. Oh, I have here. I have here. Why does he introduce himself if he's dating her best friend? Yes. He introduces himself. Yeah. Also, Ryan makes the fine vagina reference, which he made from the earlier movie. It seems like maybe Reality Prime and Reality Beta are melding a little bit, but they don't do anything with that. No, nothing. Yep. She also has a clock tower suicide where she jumps, she falls backwards, and as she's falling, reality peels away, and it's the bed in Carter's dorm room where she falls into it and the next day starts again. This is very similar to an effect they did where she got hit on the head with a baseball bat. And as she fell down and the camera was zoomed in on her face and it fell with her, she falls into bed. Mm-hmm. So they do another one of those. That was a fun shot. I like that. And also clock tower jump. That's one of the ways that he kills himself in Groundhog Day. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Yeah. So the whole fine vagina joke brings up an interesting thing. It seems that Carter has a bit of a crush on Tree, which comes out of nowhere because in the other previous times... We never got that. Well, because we know, which they 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 touch on occasionally in this one, we know that before the time loops, Tree was a fucking bitch. Yes. She was an awful but person. we don't know what she was like in this universe, because in this universe, right. Danielle is a good, is supposedly a good person. Right. But I think it's Ryan, he comes in and he does the joke and she's like, oh, huh. Like, hey, if you're dating Danielle, why'd you bring me to your room? She says originally. And he's like, well, because you were drunk. I didn't want anything to happen to you. And then Ryan bursts in, you hit that fine vagina. And she looks at him like, interesting. <laughs> and which, of course, it means nothing. It's just Ryan picking on his his dorm mate. So anyway, they end up going. And this is basically after they told her, if you die again, you'll actually die. And then she shows up and they say, oh, then there's only one possibility left. And it's just like, come. Yeah, this just happens to be the same one where she's memorized the equation. Yes. So they enter it in, and now we learn a new thing. Apparently, there are two variants of this equation. What? I don't know enough about math. What? To know any of that. There could be any sort of variant in this equation, but Ryan knows exactly what value in the equation will get her to stay in this reality, but close the time loop, or send her back to her own reality. What a hack way to force a final decision. I thought there was only one equation. Now they're introducing the concept of variance now that they've figured out the final equation. It doesn't fucking matter. She decides that she wants to stay. Because she wants to be with her mom. Yeah, and this is when a series of speeches happen. So they have another hack way of delaying They have the equation now. They know what she wants to do, so they know what variant they want. But it can't be done right now because (sighs) there's a virus on the computer, which they only explain so far as Samar has been looking at porn on on their computer. There's something in hard drive. Must be a virus. Dude, did you open spam porn again on the computer? No. 
Great. I have to manually re-enter all this code. Which, why would he be? Why Everyone has their own that? computers now. Yeah, why like, would he <laughs> do it on the computer that they need for their thesis project? Right. Which is ridiculous. But they just needed an excuse why now that they know the algorithm, it's going to take hours. But they don't know the algorithm originally, and it takes them days to figure out the right one. All of their code gets wiped, and it's going to take Ryan three hours to recompile the code. Like, okay, anyway, who cares? It's a contrivance. As she's leaving, Carter gives her a speech about how she's not living her own life, and she should... Well, we, we talked about it earlier. Right, right, but, but I'm getting to a point here. She goes and she visits her parents for lunch and asks to talk to her mom alone. Her mom and, and her have another speechy sort of talk. And she says, I want to get out of here. I want to get as far away from this place as I possibly can so she doesn't die, right? They they just say, you know what? You're obviously freaked out right now. Let's do that. And they drive and they stay at a motel where she has a conversation with her mom and there's another fucking speech. This is... Like, dozens of minutes are going by at this point. Nothing exciting has happened. It's just a bunch of people speeching at each other. Like, it's so fucking boring and so cheesy. And it's just the movie going, this is our point. Let's write it out in so many words. It's such a bad way to write a script. Yes. It's awful. So, one of the things that her mom says is, if she had to choose between her dad and someone else the mom would choose tree's father and she says well because if i didn't have him then i wouldn't have you a lot of like yeah you know what life sucks sometimes but no version of life is is perfect you just have to live your own life well i'm annoyed because the implication is that You'd better pick your man because otherwise you won't have that special baby that you're right. expecting. And yeah. it's like, what? <laughs> we, we've been dating for like two weeks and now I'm considering the fact that he's going to father my um, child. And um, if I don't have that particular child, my life will not be the same. They've been dating for one day. Right. But for Tree. Yeah. It's and in this weeks. reality, it, it hasn't been any days. <laughs> yeah. So I wrote, yeah, this Carter speech is a little much. Oh, God, now the mom is giving a speech. I even wrote down here at one point, okay, this twist is still to come because there hasn't been a twist yet. They haven't reconciled the multiple Ryans yet. Oh, don't worry. They won't. <laughs> but she decides the only way to stop it is by cutting the power. So she drives to a power station. She drives right into it just in time, shutting down the power and killing herself, which restarts the day again. Now Tree needs to give a speech to Lori about how the doctor doesn't deserve her and she's much better than that. And okay, Jesus, more speeches. Mm -hmm. How many more speeches are we going to get? Oh, there's that moment where they blow out the birthday candle together and it's like slow-mo. Yeah. Another slow-mo point that you're like, why? <laughs> My point is, is the movie just constantly rams the brakes over and over again on the actual fun stuff. It has that one montage in the middle where it's just, oh, fun thing after fun thing. Oh, she's jumping out of a plane in a bikini. And then she lands in front of Carter and Danielle. And slips off the camera as she yeah. does so. Which she has said was her favorite scene to shoot yes, uh -huh. in the film. And I'm just like, what? What? 
What is happening? So, in this reality, she decides she wants to go back. She gives this speech to Lori. But now the barrier to success is that the dean decides he's just going to show up at a different time today. (laughs) Again, remember, this never happened in the first one. Things happened at the same time every day. Now we have inconsistencies with when the dean decides to show up. (laughs) And he shows up and he steals the sissy device. And now it's a heist movie. And they have to plan a heist. True. My notes have gotten extremely sparse at this point because I just couldn't be fucked anymore. Uh, My notes get bigger (laughs) because it's a lot of, what the fuck is this? Now this? Now, like, I'm just getting so frustrated at every little thing that's happening. I gave up caring. Now it's a heist movie and the heist doesn't have anything to do with the multiple versions of people or who the new killer is that's not Lori. Has nothing to do with any of it. But we're going to have to resolve all of it. Well, except for the multiple people, because that doesn't come up again. Mm. So they need to get the keys from the dean to get into his office, to get Sissy to run it. And then they need to get it back. It doesn't matter. In order to get the keys from the dean, they need to incorporate somebody who the dean doesn't know. And apparently he doesn't know Danielle. Are you kidding me? Isn't she supposed to be some big contributor to this school? (laughs) She's like the head of a sorority. Like, how does the dean not know who she is? She pretends to be blind. And, and her name so is bad. is Amelie Le Pew. My name is uh, Amelie Le Pew. Oh, yeah. Because she thinks of the first two French things she, wants she to can be think French. of. She's yeah. maybe a French person, so she can't really speak English very well. And then there's this whole pratfall comedy moment where, oh, because she's blind, she keeps hitting him with the stick. And Although it did make me laugh. Something happens and they, they're like put in danger or something. And he's, he says, move toward the light. And he goes, oh, that was really insensitive. She gets wrapped up in a flag. And she says it's so dark. This is where it's inconsistent, right? She says it's so dark. You're blind, Danielle. And then he says head towards the light. Oh, that was insensitive. Recognizing that what he said was insensitive, but not that she said it's dark. Uh-huh. It's so dark. Move toward the light. Oh, sorry. That was insensitive. That was a funny line. So I they get the is. device. They give the keys back to her. That's it. They have to get the keys back to him. That's the, that's the end of this heist. They get the keys back to her. She's falling everywhere. He's covered in blood now. And she sits down next to where her keys were, slams the keys down, and he turns. And then she moves a chess piece and says, checkmate. Which was a little much. Oh, the whole thing Just is for that much. one fucking joke, they needed to blow apart the whole thing that she's blind, and she's good at chess, and, and they're in a position where one move would be checkmate. And, like, or she was just making it up, in which case, Why? Yeah, no. To blow her cover? It's real fucking dumb. Oh, we didn't say. Okay, so I think this is when she gives the speech to Lori, because now they're going to need to prep it all. She's going to, like, wrap everything up in this dimension. She gives a speech to Lori saying, you're better than Gregory, the doctor that you're having the affair with. Fuck him. You you do you, Lori. And she also goes to say goodbye to Danielle, but Danielle is... Sleeping with somebody else. okay. So now she doesn't feel bad because now it's like, well, Carter deserves better than this. Do you know who this is? Is it the guy who does the dancing? It is. That's awesome. This is the guy that Danielle had the crush on that Lori, being a bitch in 
the first reality. Was willing to hook up with. Yeah, and took him upstairs, and Danielle was like, seriously? And but they like, ended what? up not hooking up because he's He hilarious. ends up getting killed. <laughs> well, that, and he also is a total dork dancing. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh, okay, so she has lunch again with her parents. This is the moment where she has to to just have that one conversation with her mom. They blow out the candles. Oh, but she still needs to save Lori because if she gets sent back to her time, then Lori's going to die. Oh, no. Now we remembered that there's a killer on the loose and we need to solve that problem, too. That's right. When we first made this movie, it was supposed to be a horror movie. Right. That's another problem is it seriously ceases to be a horror movie. Completely. Completely. So she steals the cop's gun. She holds him up and he's like, this is a bad idea like before. Runs to the room, sees Lori, and is like, Lori, stop, he's going to hurt you. And the killer pops up, which in what reality was the killer going to kill Lori? Like the serial killer, Tombs. Was he going to kill Lori? But he does. He pops up with a knife. because she saw her die. Killed by the baby face killer. Not the serial killer. Well, she thinks that it's still the same person. In any case, he pops up ah, with the knife and going to stab Lori. She shoots him and kills him immediately. So now she's saved Lori. Uh, And then the babyface killer shows up and she's like, fuck. And then there's a fight ensues. And then we figure out that, oh, the babyface killer in this reality is Gregory. He wants to kill Lori because... They've been arguing, and he's worried that Lori is going to reveal the fact that they've had an affair. Now, what we find out is that there is another killer. The other killer is Gregory's wife, who also wants to kill Lori to kill the bitch that's been ruining her relationship. And so they have them both at gunpoint, and then Gregory's wife tells him to kill her. And then he says, oh, yeah, there's one thing I forgot. And he turns and he kills his wife and says, I want a divorce. Oh, wait. I almost forgot. I want a divorce. Which is a reference to Total Recall. And if it's not, then I'd be really pissed. Sweetheart, be reasonable. After all, we're married. Consider that a divorce. In any case... That's how we know he's not doing it because his wife wants him to, because he's just going to kill his wife anyway. Yes. He intends to kill Lori for his own reasons, which is to shut her up about this affair. Right. But now Tree's involved, so he's got to kill Tree, too. Yes. Who in this universe he doesn't even know. Like, she's not even a student. But seriously, I want a divorce. Why is he doing any of this with his wife? If he's just going to kill her anyway, it's so random. It's like the movie needed a, hey, what if there was a a little mini twist here and a little mini twist here and then another little mini twist. And they don't even concern themselves with whether any of it actually makes sense when put together into one concept. Nope. It's just throwing shit together. They think they're being poetic, but it's just sloppy. Mm -hmm. If you remember in the original deleted ending which they took out because it would have started the loop over again of the first movie. Gregory's wife kills tree at the very end by injecting something into her IV tube. I do remember that. Yeah. But they took that out. Yeah. But the idea that Gregory's wife is homicidal as a result of the affair is not new. Right. And it's a nice little nod back if you know the original, but it was, it's not part of Canon because if it was, it would have started the 18th over again. Right. In any case, why would Gregory and Lori both choose the babyface killer? 
in different realities on the same day, there's kind of a reason for that. Well, because of the game and how they're selling them on campus. Right. They showed that in the because first Because the one. masks are everywhere yes. and they're using the serial killer's presence as a cover. Yes. The odds that both of them would become homicidal for two completely different reasons. Well, not completely different reasons. I guess they're all tied to the affair, aren't they? Mm-hmm. But in one reality, Lori wants to kill him using the same methods and the same cover story that Gregory does in this other reality that Tree happens to go to. It's all kind of just a big contrivance. Yep. Lori gets shot by the wife, but she survives. Gregory is chasing Tree. They're in a room with, um, why can't I think of it? You know, where they do the brain scans and there's a giant magnet, basically. And MRI. Yeah. And so Tree, seeing him standing in front of it, slams her hand on the button, which the button's not in the room. The whole reason there's an observation room is so you're not in the room in order to turn it on. But whatever, the button's in the room in this reality, and he gets slammed up against the machine, and Tree has a screwdriver that she's trying to hold back from the magnet, and then she just lets go, and it stabs him, killing him. So... Now the doctor's dead. Oh, she says you're screwed. Yep. You're screwed. She gets her little Arnold Schwarzenegger just like, I want a divorce. Yep. So. Like I said, I don't have a whole hell of a lot to say because my nose just, I just gave up. I was just like, this is so fucking stupid and boring at this point. Carter appears because he's worried about Tree. And we find out that Lori's alive. She's being loaded onto a stretcher. Because she's in a hospital, so if you're going to get shot any place, this is the place to do it, which was kind of cute. They kind of had their own little reconciling thing, even though in this reality, Lori has no idea what any of this is. <laughs> she must be so confused. <laughs> so, back with Sissy, the nerds, I guess we'll call them, the nerd crew, mm-hmm. are getting it up and running again, and they're going to turn it on. Tree reveals to Carter that the reason she cares about him so much is that in the other reality, they were together. And, oh, I fell in love with you. You only knew me really for a day, but I had to live that day over and over again, and I ended up falling in love with you. And then they kiss. Now, we're not supposed to feel bad about this because the, because Danielle was having an affair. Carter doesn't know that. So I think the, the implication is that she told him. But I when? Would. At what point? And Who it's cares? like, <laughs> it just kind of, it's because they wanted a moment. They kind of undermined Carter B's personality here a little bit as all the sparks are going off because there's a power fluctuation because sisyphus is going off everyone wakes up back in that room apparently on the 19th it's a little unclear that moment when everyone was thrown back from sissy in that slow-mo shot towards the beginning tree worried that she's in the same dimension turns to carter and says danielle and he says who mm-hmm. yes we made it back Woo! Yay! Oh my god. I think I just shit my pants. Ah, 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 staying alive, staying alive. So this is kind of the end of the movie, but because they destroyed everything and they denied the Dean, they do have consequences. They're picking up trash around campus. They aren't expelled because the machine showed some functionality, but what functionality did it show? Again, the only person that knows anything happened is Tree. Who cares? 
the fucking government shows up and DARPA they, shows up. They're like, we need to test it and let's test it on Danielle because it she's doesn't make any sense that it would be Danielle. A bitch. And we are the why government they, and we can do whatever we want. Why would they pick some random girl, especially since whoever they send back needs to report the results to them, otherwise it's pointless, which by the way is a nice idea for a story. What if there was a government agent who had to keep going back in time to report the results, but being the only person who knows what actually happened starts lying to them about it? I think that would be an interesting story. On the bright side is part three about Danielle. Who knows? We just know... That they wanted some funny ending, but didn't care if it made any fucking sense whatsoever. Again, there is going to be a third movie. And this idea that we're supposed to hate Danielle. She was a bigger bitch, honestly, in Universe B. Because she was doing a bunch of shit that nobody knew about. Yep. At least in Universe A, she's just a bitch and everybody knows it. Here's a question. Why is it important to save Lori? This isn't an inconsistency. It's a reality. <laughs> I hate to use that word. Why is it important that Tree needs to save Lori in reality B if she's just going back to reality prime? Because she cares about her. But the only reason that would matter is if reality beta continues on after Tree leaves it. With you, all the stuff that Tree did having actually happened in reality beta. Do you not think that that would happen? That's no, what I figured no, no, was no. happening. I'm saying that is the case. Yeah. But they don't fucking address it at all beyond saving Lori. Of course they don't. Because the geeks are fucked now in this other reality. Because the Dean's coming to shut them down. If it's not important, then why do we care about Lori? And now Carter cheated on Danielle and has no idea that Danielle cheated on him. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure the implication is that Tree told him. But why imply? Why not say? I don't know. Who cares? This is my point. This My point is pointing out, I mean... Honestly, we care. That's the whole reason we're doing the show. <laughs> I don't. I stopped caring. They never resolve the subplot that there could be multiple versions of anybody. That just never comes back. It's too sciency. So there are so, so many problems because they don't get any of the science right or even care to. It doesn't just let itself be fun, which would have been fine. I have no problem with, like you say, shutting my brain off and just having fun. I'll recognize that it's a shut your brain off and have fun sort of movie. I like dumb movies, but this movie tries to get sciency and explain everything, and it just fucks it up doing that. <laughs> Let's go down some lightning round notes. I have a few. Okay. When Sissy activated on her own, which started the whole time loop thing in the first place at 12.01 a.m., apparently there's a movie from 1993 called 1201 AM, about a man who lives the same day over and over again trying to stop a murder. Maybe we can pair that up with part three when part three comes out. God. The shirt that Tree wears that belongs to Carter with the band Dumpsta Funk on it. In the first movie, it's from a concert that took place in Austin, Texas. In this movie, it took place in New Orleans. It's just kind of fun that there's a variation in it that, you know, it's a little Easter egg. Right. If you think back, I may be wrong, but I'm trying to remember. The day she decides that she doesn't want to go back and just lives her life, she needs to, once she changes her mind, drive into the power station in order to shut it down and prevent it from happening. So on this version of the day, the Dean just doesn't show up. I don't know. He shows up every single day. This one, they just forgot he existed. 
It's just whenever it's most useful to the script, that's when he shows up. Mm-hmm. I already said the thing about how wouldn't things be worse every single time after she has to after she passes out, has mm-hmm. to go to the hospital. I like that they explain the power outages from the first movie. It's kind of fun, but the timing is kind of all off because they happen later in the day in the first movie when the dean would have already confiscated it, but it's a different reality, that's all you got to say. Lastly, I we mentioned this off mic. One thing we get every single loop in the first movie is when she wakes up, somebody's playing the trumpet, and another guy yells at him to shut the fuck up or shut the hell up. Shut up! Shut up! Yes. It's very funny. Every single morning, but we never see it. It continues to happen in this movie, but we actually get to see it. In the list of things that happened to Ryan throughout his loop... One of the things is, as he's walking down the hall, he passes by this guy in the hall playing the trumpet. The guy pops his head out at the dorm right across from him and says, shut up in the same exact way. Problem is, is that Ryan's loop happens on the 19th, not the 18th. I don't remember that happening in the original film. It does. Okay. I promise you it does. (laughs) It's just like shit like that, where they're like, hey, wouldn't it be fun if they did this? And they don't think about it any further than that. And it's repeatedly throughout the movie, multiple things were like, wouldn't it be fun if, and nobody was like, well, yeah, but wouldn't that mean like nobody, like they had, because happy death day to you did okay. They just had free reign to do whatever they want and nobody around telling them that would be a bad idea. And it's like that throughout the entire movie, which is really bothersome. That said, what do you think this movie got on Rotten Tomatoes? 39? 70. Which was the original score that the first one got until it's been upgraded to a 71. <laughs> By the time we actually recorded. The first one, the consensus was Happy Death Day puts a darkly humorous sci-fi spin on slasher conventions with added edge courtesy of a star-making performance from Jessica Roth. Star-making performance. I don't know what else she's done except for the sequel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> In this one, it's a funnier follow-up with a sci-fi bent. Happy Death Day to You isn't as fiendishly fresh as its predecessor, but fans of the original may still find this a sequel worth celebrating. No. (laughs) Yeah, it's like fans of the original, and that's what they're banking on. Did you have fun with the original? It's just all the fun, none of the brain. (laughs) Not that the first one was all that smart to begin with. It has a 57 Metacritic and a B Cinema score. Which was the same thing that the other one had. People came out of the movie feeling good. Jesus. Now, you and I respectively gave the original a 63 and a 67. What would you give this one? Any fun I had, anything I enjoyed, anything I was willing to look over and past was just destroyed around the time, around the time that Danielle is talking to the Dean or whatever. Oh, yeah, the French thing, and it becomes a slapstick comedy. And then just every single thing that happened after that, I was just like, I can't be fucked. Yeah. I'm not, you completely lost my interest. It's not funny anymore. It's one of those movies where your head just kind of goes on a tilt. Yeah. And you stare at it, and your face, your your smile goes straight. Yeah. You're just like, really, movie? This is what we're doing now? Yes. So anything that I was enjoying up until that point 
kind of goes out the window. But, like, I'm not going to say it's a terrible movie. No. Because it did make me laugh a few times. It did. It's, it's made okay. I do really There's some like... some shots. I do really like the main chick who plays Tree. I think yeah. she's pretty good. And I love the girl who plays Danielle. I just... Even though she didn't get... Her, her yeah. character was destroyed this time. Uh-huh. I enjoy Carter, even though I feel like he's kind of barely in this movie. Well, before he needs to take a bigger stance, you yeah. know, and she needs to save him. And now she needs to save Lori, but who's fucking Lori in this movie? Lori's barely in the movie, too. Right. It's just... I, it's a bunch of tree just screaming at things, and they think that that's going to get them by because people will laugh at that. That's my assessment of this movie. So I'm going to give it a 50. I think 50 is a good score. It's not a movie that's like, wow, I can't even call this a movie, but it's not a horror movie. No. It's the worst kind of sequel where they latch on to what people really liked about the original and then just do 150% of that mm-hmm. and leave all the substance on the floor, mm-hmm. which is so frustrating. Mm-hmm. So I would say, yeah, it's not – I didn't like it as much as I liked the first one, mm-hmm. which isn't even that much in the first place. Mm-hmm. We thought it was an okay movie. It was all right. Mm-hmm. But we just weren't big fans. No. This movie, I don't like it. No. But it's competent in certain ways. It does make you laugh. I'd say it's worth a 50. Mm-hmm. And that's the end of our birthday episode with 1983's Sweet 16 and 2019's Happy Death Day to you. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? It's a double feature. Oh, my God, guys. You don't even know. We're doing Child's Play. We're doing it. We've already watched the first one. Yeah. Kelsey did so good. I'm so proud of her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she did great. Yeah, I haven't been able to get that face out of my head, but I'm trying. Just focus on it. No. Exposure therapy. No. Yes. Well, it's not, the, the remake's not going to be as scary. Right. I, yeah. But the good news is, is that it was easier to watch than it was last time. Yeah. So I'm saying exposure therapy. Let's watch it again. No. I'm good. <laughs> so we're watching both Child's Play movies. Yes. So. Which I just, I literally was just looking at a list of movies where about how bad their remakes are, and the first one was Child's Play. Yeah. It's a completely different premise. And other than the fact that there's a murderous doll, you could have made it about anything else, but they chose to put Chucky's name on it, so uh, Whatever. I just want you guys to appreciate what Kelsey put herself through. This is one of her big phobias. It's Chucky. It's spiders. Mm-hmm. <laughs> are like her big thing. Mm-hmm. I think you're better at arachnophobia than you are at Chucky, though. Yeah. Well. So you, you react to Chucky on a screen the way you react to spiders in real life. Yes. You can watch the movie Arachnophobia. Yes. And not be as scared as you are watching Chucky. Correct. Yeah. So... Hopefully you guys appreciate this. We will talk about that next week. Until then, you can always reach us at podcemetery.com, Twitter at podcemetery, Gmail, podcemetery at gmail.com. Don't forget to rate and review us in your podcatcher of choice. Five-star written reviews are always the best thing that you can do for us there. But please also don't forget to share us with your friends. And thank you all very much for listening in the first place. We love you all very much. Until next time, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, 
Any last words? How can a rock be dumb? They don't even have brains. I'm sorry. People probably think you hit me in the weirdest places. I. I'd be more concerned if they thought I hit you at all. <laughs> Up his ass. What's his name? What can you think of his name? I can't think of his name either. <laughs> what the fuck is his name? <laughs> Christopher Walken. Walken. <laughs> I'm a computer. Oh, God, what's it called? I, ha- I have it written down here. I have it written down. So, yes. Yeah, so now Danielle, not Danielle. Ultimately, not ultimately. And I, I did you just say this? <laughs> and that's the end of our birthday episode with Sweet 16's 19, 19- Sweet 16's 1983. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>